0: The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. Uh, With those sentiments from Gramsci as roughly paraphrased by uh, Zizek, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters podcast. Um, So this week I wanted to take up the uh, ongoing controversy over the New York Times and its coverage of um, trans issues. Uh, There's um, a letter that had been written by... uh, Uh, freelancers or writers for the Times uh, objecting to some of the ways in which uh, the Times has covered debates about uh, transgender issues. And uh, there was an accompanying letter from uh, 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 um, LGBTQ uh, human rights groups. Um, And uh, the Times has kind of taken a very hard stance against us. Um, And uh, I think to understand what's going on, um it's perhaps important to have a context of the larger history of the way that uh, the times has dealt with such issues and uh, for that reason i'm very happy to have on um as a guest uh, jack uh, merkinson who um is a senior editor at the nation and co-founder of discourse blog and wrote a long piece for the nation um about the uh, the times's coverage particularly of uh you know what we could call um uh, gay rights and uh, also AIDS. Uh, but let's start from the the current moment and then um maybe go into the um the past history of this. So um, uh, Jack, do you want to say something about you know just what is the uh this letter? Uh, well, there's two letters, but let's talk about the letter from the um uh, people who are writers for the Times. Uh, uh but what, uh, yeah. what, what's basically the the gist of this? And and we should mention you're your signatory to this letter.
1: Yes. Um, I was not a signatory to the initial letter, uh, which was from Times contributors. I've never written for the Times, so I don't count. But then people could sign on um, in support of the letter. And and I did that. Um, so, you know, the Times... Uh, coverage of trans issues and trans people um particularly in the last year or so um has been sort of increasingly criticized uh for its tone and for uh the its sourcing and for lots of other reasons um and so you know people have been sort of growing more and more alarmed about the seeming animus that um is, sort of shot through all of these stories um you know there's this very very sort of uh distressed tone that you find in a lot of these time stories like are trans people are here and how how are we supposed to think about that is it a problem are there too many trans people are there too many trans children are there too many trans children you know transitioning or getting medicine um you know and so uh A bunch of people who um, are Times contributors, I think by now it's over a thousand Times contributors have signed this letter. Initially, it was about 170 or so. Um, So they they sent this open letter to the standards editor of the New York Times saying basically... um, we are contributors to the times and we are very, very concerned about your coverage of trans people and trans issues. Um, And at the same time, uh, glad the LGBTQ uh, rights group um, sent a separate letter to the times uh, basically saying the same thing. Um, And uh, in response, the Times first uh, dismissed both letters. Um, very oddly, sort of pretended that the Glad letter and the letter from journalists who had contributed to the newspaper itself were the same. Um, and about and said about both of them. These are letters from advocacy groups and activists. And we are not activists of the times. We are journalists and we are just going where the facts find us, you know, um, you know, where the facts lead us, sorry. And um, you know, so and and we do not really see what you're saying. And at the same time. Uh, The leadership within the paper, the executive editor and the opinion editor sent a joint letter internally because um, a handful of Times staffers had signed on to the letter and they said, we will not tolerate um, any Times employees joining with advocacy groups trying to pressure the New York times about its coverage. So the response from the times has been basically a, um, you don't know what you're talking about and there's nothing wrong with our trans our coverage of trans issues. And B, uh, if you work for us and you have decided to speak out about your, uh, your objections to our coverage, then, uh, you now sort of ha- have a target on your back internally, and we are uh, watching to see what happens next. Um, so that's what's been going on uh, in the past you know, I, I, week and, and a half. I,
0: I believe there's been some reporting that there's been some disciplinary actions or some people have been sort of, you know, uh, called in or uh, so th- there might even be like sort of um, uh, repercussions within the paper. Yeah. Uh, now, there's a couple of things that one could say about the Times' response. Um, one of which is like to immediately uh, discount uh, advocacy or activists and say, "Well, that's illegitimate uh, towards journalism." Whereas, you know, like one can take a broad view of the history of journalism, and there have often been. Um, advocacy groups that have taken issue with things that have appeared in newspapers and often for very good reasons. And often newspapers end up admitting that they were wrong. And one can just look at the sort of, you know, coverage of immigration um, and Jewish issues in the uh, 19th and early 20th century, the uh, coverage of um, African-Americans. There's always been a long tradition of um, advocates uh, being critical, and I think oftentimes Their criticism has been on point uh, and is now acknowledged on point. Uh, Right. I'll I'll just
1: add another one to that uh, about the New York Times. The New York Times now acknowledges that it underplayed the Holocaust um, (laughs) during the 1930s and 1940s, that it did not report sufficiently that the Holocaust was happening. Um, You know, and that's a very big one to get wrong. And. You know, at the time, I would imagine that the New York Times was similarly um, resistant to criticism of its Holocaust coverage, but now it's viewed as a, a, a real period of shame at the paper.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. No. There's been many such cases, <laughs> and so that and end uh, we're going to get to another one uh, for for the bulk of our conversation. But but so 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 just like his, just as a, a a premise, the idea that well you know you can discount anything coming from activists or advocacy groups seems uh, suspect. And then as you right. notice, they, they tried to conflate a uh, sort of um, the criticism that's coming from journalists who are writing as Times contributor and saying that they didn't feel that you know um the coverage was um, uh good journalism uh conflating that with the the glad complaint which is you know uh coming from a, um, a different place right, uh so, right and so... and
1: i i should just add very briefly because i forgot to mention uh this part um is that the news guild of new york which represents times employees um issued a statement in support of the people who had been speaking out and saying that their speech was protected uh, workplace speech. They were raising complaints about the workplace environment, and so they could not be um, punished for making that decision. And in response to that, a bunch of different Times journalists issued their own open letter criticizing The News Guild and criticizing the idea um, really that there was anything wrong with Times coverage. And again, repeating the management line uh, saying we are not activists, we are journalists. Um, So this idea of activism versus journalism is a real thread running through not only the response from the management, but also the response from some other journalists within the Times itself.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's uh, uh, exactly uh, on point. And I would just add to that a little bit about this issue of the journalists who are working for The Times who are critical of the newspaper, because The Times uh, editorially has written a lot about cancel culture and about threats to free speech. And they actually do have an editorial where they say the threat to free speech is not just um, coming from the government, but exists in civil society and includes employers not allowing free speech you know within the workplace uh, so so the, that is the official you know editorial voice of the Times is saying that there should be more free speech in the workplace um, and I don't think that's congruent at all with the way the Times has handled this matter uh, right yeah so there's a so there's obviously a lot of problems or contradictions within the Times handling of this um and uh, I think this is where your um, piece for the the uh, the nation which i'll link to uh which is like a very substantial uh, lengthy piece which uh, offers a very useful context for thinking about this because the whole um argument of the times is one of professionalism you know we're journalists we're following the rules of journalism we know what we're doing and the people who are critical of us are advocates and activists and they don't know uh and if that's the argument then you know, um, one should say like, well, what's the basis for thinking that the Times, uh, um, their code of professionalism is, always leads them to the right position on issues like this? What is the, Is there a reason for thinking that um, this, um, we're journalists, we're professionals, um, that that is a sufficient answer to criticism and that uh, if the Times just, you know, if we just trust in their professionalism, everything will be all right. Well, you know, I think your piece, um, which is really about the history of the way that the Times has covered, uh, 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 you know, the broader uh, sexual identity issues uh, uh, with uh, uh, gays and lesbians, I I think it really shows um, uh, that no, there's no reason to like, you know, rely on their professional expertise as the ultimate answer um so so let let's go let's get into some of this like like how would you uh what what's the broad sweep of the story that you're telling?
1: yeah, so one of the things that has really struck me about the times response to this sort of criticism is not only um that you know it has its backup and that it's incredibly defensive and dismissive and patronizing towards its critics you know that I suppose to a certain extent is to be expected from uh the times when it gets criticized um but uh, that all of these things played out in almost exactly the same way um 30 or 40 years ago uh, around the times coverage of very similar issues specifically around the emergence of the gay liberation movement and then the emergence of the AIDS crisis um and uh the same beats you can just see in the history playing out over and over again and the really important part of this to me is that now all these years later the times um sort of officially considers its coverage of LGBTQ rights and AIDS uh in the 70s and 80s and um, you know, into the early 90s, uh, to be one of its low points, one of the low points in its history. Um, you know, and the Times has uh, you know, issued repeated um Mia Culpa's uh multiple articles detailing the internal um homophobia that was um all over the place within the paper detailing the way that the times did not cover, uh, the emergence of AIDS or the AIDS movement in the way that, uh, the paper should have, you know, and, and admitting we got this one very wrong. It was driven, um, you know, uh, in part by institutional, um, bigotry and we wish we had done it differently. And so to see the times on the one hand, um, sort of have to be forthright about that aspect of its history and at the same time um making what to my mind at least is an almost identical series of errors in its coverage of another marginalized queer group this time trans people um you know and reacting to the criticism of that coverage with the same instinctive sort of dismissal and hostility that it displayed when it was criticized over its coverage of gay rights and AIDS um, in the 80s, you know, to me, that is uh, sort of an astonishing inability from within the times to see uh, how it is repeating its own mistakes and to, and to learn anything from its own history. And so uh, what I wrote about was basically first, what was that history? Um, you know, how did the Times get that coverage wrong? And then why, um, you know, why it matters uh, that the Times can, on the one hand, um, seemingly acknowledge that history, and on, and on on the other hand, seemingly fail to learn any lessons from that history.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think um, I, I want to go into some of the little granular details because I think that they're very important for maybe understanding the dynamics of the present as well. Uh, one of which is like, you know, I mean, I think it's fair enough to say that there was like a broader cultural homophobia that was existed in many places, including in the Nation magazine, uh, you know, in the early 20th century. And, uh, you know, like the Times' coverage of that sort of stuff is perhaps uh, of the norm. Uh, of of, of, the, of that period of like any, you know, uh, 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 mainstream um, institution. Like if you wanted to find, uh, say, in the 1940s, um, articles uh, promoting gay rights, you would have to go to something very small like Dwight McDonald's Politics Magazine, which had a circulation of 3,000. Uh, and that's where uh, we're not in the times. But I think that what's more interesting is... Um, aside from this uh you know shared cultural homophobia there's a specific response in the magazine in the 1960s uh, as you start to see the sort of uh, gay rights movement emerging even before Stonewall that uh, as you start to seeing more visible assertions of uh public um, uh, queer identity uh, and claims for rights in the 60s that the Times isn't just at that point reflecting the um the mainstream, it's actually like taking an active position, uh, and I, I think in in the uh, to, to, and, uh, figure that I think is very important for understanding this, he's not the only person, and he might not even be the most senior person, he, in some ways, maybe he was carrying out the orders of the owners of the, of the newspaper, but the, the the sort of editorial, you know, lead figure of this is a, a fellow by the name of Abe Rosenthal. Uh, So do you want to talk about like, you know, like who was Abe Rosenthal and and like what were the sort of positions that he started to lay out in the sort of 60s and 70s?
1: Yeah. So Abe Rosenthal, he led the Times. um, He was the top editor at the Times from 1969 to 1986. Um, And he was a very senior editor before that. So he was, you know, a very, very. Uh, important figure in the history of the times um, and he has a lot of um, big moments to his name he led the coverage of the pentagon papers he redesigned the paper um, you know from this sort of very gray and boring one section newspaper to the form that we really know today with the style section and the art section and all those things so he was responsible for a lot of major changes within the times but uh, probably, and what and he is...
0: that if you want to give him like full credit, you know, like he was a sort of the major patron of uh, Seymour Hirsch at the paper in the '70s, and there's no way that uh, anyone else uh, other than Rosenthal would have allowed Hirsch to publish as many things that he did in the paper, including, you know, very important exposés of the CIA uh, and of Henry Kissinger. Uh, so, so you know, like this is like you know, like to give you know this guy full credit. But he is a very major figure in American media.
1: He right, right, and 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 so you know he had a very much lauded career at the times for those re- all those reasons. But really, probably now, what he's most remembered for is that he was intensely homophobic, and um, really from like the sixties onward, when he- when you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments. He had a a position of real influence within The Times. He worked uh quite assiduously to limit the coverage of queer people in The Times and um to make sure that the coverage that was there um was not particularly positive. Among other things that he did um in the early 60s, he personally uh, had had grown alarmed at the seeming, uh, increase in visibility of gay people in New York City, and uh, reportedly, this is, um, I think, in Gay Talese's book, uh, "The Kingdom and the Power." He writes about how Abe Rosenthal um, personally like commissioned this article that wound up on the front page, um, all about how uh, I think the you know the headline was something like "Growth of homosexuals in the city uh, alarms many" or something like that. Um, and it's this very lengthy article being like there are so many gay people on the streets that we can see. And this is terrible. Um, you know, and then uh, when after he um, ascended to the top of the ladder, um, interestingly, in the late 60s and then in the early 70s, you started to get hints that um, the, the attitude within the times towards uh gay rights and towards gay people was softening um you know there were some uh sympathetic um articles there were some sympathetic first person pieces from openly gay people talking about what it was like to be gay in the 1970s um you know and so there was this maybe this sense that something was shifting. Um, and then in 1975, there was an article that ran um, in the Sunday edition about a gay cruise. Um, and it was, uh, n- you know, it wasn't like a negative article. It was, um, a, you know, it's sort of a fun and interested piece. Um, you know, just about this group of gay people going on a cruise. And reportedly, it so shocked not only Abe Rosenthal, but also uh, the Salzburger family, which owns the Times, um, that they raised holy hell about it. And um, Abe Rosenthal then decided to ban the word gay from the new york times uh so you could not um between 1975 or so and um i think june 1987 uh if you were a writer for the new york times you could not describe gay people as gay you had to describe you know unless you were quoting um the title of some group um un- or unless you were quoting what someone else said you had to use the word homosexual um so uh just that decision shows you um just how uh much antipathy there was within the top leadership of the times towards the idea that um not only did gay people exist but that you had to treat them um in with anything but this sort of clinical distance you know because when you only rigorously use homosexual instead of gay you know that's um this almost scientific uh level of you know uh an approach and so um you know then rosenthal was leading the times during you know, really the explosion of the gay liberation movement. And then um, during the explosion of AIDS in the 1980s, and, um, you know, you can only imagine uh, the problems that emerged because someone who was that um, blatantly homophobic uh, was running the coverage of these incredibly important issues, you know, and so it was understood that he was, anti-gay it was understood by gay employees at the times that it was not wise for them to come out it was understood um within the broader uh sort of um culture that the times was hostile to gay people um you know and this had real real consequences you know the times um first ran uh its article about AIDS, you know, it's a very famous article now, rare cancer seen in 41 homosexuals, you know, that ran in the back pages in 1981. And it took the times almost two years before AIDS ran on its front page before uh, it decided that AIDS was worthy of a one placement. Even then it was at the very bottom of the page, um, you know, and so, uh, you know we we don't know as i say in the piece we don't know like what would have happened if the times had treated um aids with the focus that it deserved uh we don't know how what whether that would have changed things whether it would have pushed it more into national consciousness whether it would have you know provoked um the reagan administration which famously didn't mention the word aids for many years to do anything who knows what would have happened we only know what happened when uh, it didn't do any of those things um and we only know uh how bad um you know the plague of aids became um you know and so uh these are very very concrete um instances of the times choosing uh to take a very very uh terrible position on one of the most important um You know, movements and periods of time in American social history, uh, you know, and and so, um, you know, the the paper really had to wait for Rosenthal to leave before it could catch up to uh, the rest of society, really, um, around issues of gay rights and around its own gay employees. Um, you know, and so that has now become a, like a real, um, you know, uh, uh, low, low point in the paper's history by its own admission.
0: Yeah, no, no, I, I, I that's a good uh, sort of survey of this. And I'll just mention um, that uh, a lot of the um, uh, opposition in the um, uh, gay culture, the politi- uh, politicized Um, uh, movements that emerged out of AIDS in the 80s, especially ACT UP, I mean, they were targeting the Reagan administration, uh, New York's uh, mayor, Ed Koch, who was closeted, uh, gay man, who was very closely aligned with the Times, and the Times itself, that like, this was like a major kind of, you know, uh, uh, claim of ACT UP, that like, you know, the the paper's coverage uh, uh, was preventing uh uh an effective dealing with the plague and even an right. effective realization of what was going on so, yeah. so, so and, this, this and, is and all and, like like very very much playing itself out in 1990 1980s politics
1: yeah and 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 just briefly you know that that um leads me to one of the like craziest uh examples of this um you know Frank Rich who was then the theater critic of the times in uh 1985 I think it was reviewed um Larry Kramer's uh, very, very seminal play, The Normal Heart, when it um, uh, ran on Broadway, and noted in the review um, that The Times was one of the targets um, that Kramer attacked in the play, and, and that Ed Koch was another one, you know, it was just sort of part of this list, and Unbeknownst to Frank Rich, the Times management attached an an editor's note to the end of his review with a statement from the Times saying, we have not mishandled the AIDS crisis, our coverage is good, um, and Larry Kramer is mistaken. And even more astonishingly than that, they also reached out to Ed Koch to get a statement from him to respond um, to a theater review. Um, You know, so that really shows you not only who the Times management was aligned with uh, during this period, but also how they were displaying the same sort of instinctive um, defensiveness and hostility to the notion that they could ever have gotten anything wrong about these things that they are now displaying in terms of their coverage of trans people.
0: No, that's right. That's right. And in fact, in some ways, I mean, that editorial note, it seems so similar to the uh, note that their paper's current executive editor, Joseph Kahn, wrote in response to the letter. Like it, it's almost exactly uh, the same argument. Like, you know, right. like, we're, we're not getting this wrong. Uh, trust us. Uh, the, there's a little side note that maybe is worth um uh in your piece which i think is worth exploring a little bit in terms of thinking about the dynamics here uh which is that you mentioned that the early coverage of trans issues was like as a sort of scientific matter and in terms of you know telling personal stories and i think you know like a lot of people have noticed this that the um coverage of trans issues in some ways is going backwards uh you know like it's regressing politically, that the earliest coverage, and this goes back to like the 1930s, that the earliest coverage you know treats uh, treated it as a scientific story. there's you know these new medical developments um, and then also as a you know uh, uh, a story about tra- centering trans people. like this is you know their experience and what's happening. And what's interesting to me is that what we see the regression, you know once uh, there's much greater cr- um, uh, trans visibility. In some ways, comparable to the you know much greater gay visibility in the '60s, uh, that you see you know like once uh, trans people become uh, visible enough that they're like a part of public life and are organized enough that they're part of public life, that's when it's a more that's when you can stop being generous and stop being like, you know, uh, stop treating this as a, a scientific and personal story and start seeing it as a, a threat to society. So I, I think that the, in both cases, that seems to be like the, the real dynamic, that the triggering point is visibility and political organization.
1: Yeah, and um, one of the uh, sort of more enraging or poignant, um, really it's both parts of um, the The piece to me is that um, I spoke to uh, a woman named Donna Cartwright, who was a copy editor at the Times and who in 1998 became the first openly trans employee at the Times. Um, You know, she went around the building and put up an open letter saying, just so everyone knows, um, you know, you've been working with me for years and now uh, I am going to live my life as a woman Um, and she told me that you know despite some sort of minor difficulties that most people within the times were actually perfectly understanding and generous and welcoming to her and so the idea that 25 years ago um, you know uh, the first trans person at the times could feel uh, like it was a welcoming environment, uh, for her. Um, and that all these years later, the times is now, uh, a center for, um, you know, this really growing wave, um, of anti-trans hostility, um, you know, is really, uh, sad to me and, and really angering to me. Um, you know, and, and, uh, Just like back then, the Times is refusing to um, take this seriously, even as, you know, uh, far right legislators cite the New York Times as they, you know, introduce anti-trans bill after anti-trans bill, even after, um, you know, so many different people. Uh, are telling them, you are getting this wrong. Nothing appears to shake them out of their certainty that, um, as you said, we have to trust them.
0: That's right, yeah. And this might be a good note to kind of end on in terms of the sort of political impact. As, as you said, like, you know, especially in sort of, you know, Republican states, uh, uh, you're seeing a lot of anti-trans legislation. And maybe the dynamic in terms of the role that Times is playing can be compared a bit to the Guardian and um, other left or center papers in um, uh, England, including also the New Statesman, um, because uh, to some degree, those uh, papers really took up the sort of, you know, anti-trans cause, uh, you know, about like, you know, five to 10 years ago, and have really highlighted it. And they've we've seen them able to shift the center of um, a political debate so that in England, I mean, you know, like, even five years ago, you were seeing some signs that the Tory Party was, you know, going to come out to be more accepting of trans issues. And uh, but because you know these newspapers uh, decided to highlight anti-trans arguments so much and and really mainstream them, um, you've seen regression uh, with both the Tories and with Labour, with the two main parties in England. And so I, I think that's the real danger here. That you know. You're seeing a mainstreaming of anti-trans sentiment uh, and the legitimization and that this will, you know, um, a lot of progress that people take for granted could very easily go away.
1: Absolutely. Um, You know, and I think the analogy with um, the liberal media in the U.K., um, is spot on really because you know the guardian and and the new york times do play similar roles in shaping um you know center-left discourse within their respective countries and it's incredibly uh damaging to see when when they choose to go all in in on these sort of anti-trans crusades in the way that they have and yeah um you know you it's somewhat different here because um you know the the real hardcore anti-trans stuff is coming almost exclusively from within the republican party it hasn't seeped into the democratic party in the same way that it's seeped into the labor party in the uk um but uh you know i think it is not crazy at all to imagine that if this continues, um, you know that some people within the Democratic Party will begin to say, not necessarily, you know, that uh, they're anti-trans or anything like that, but that this is, um, you know, a headache. This is a culture war issue that they don't want to have to deal with. This is something that's gonna, you know, uh, affect them with uh, the white working class. You know, all of the reasons that they usually come up with um, to start betraying vulnerable minority groups within this country, um, on their way to power, um, you know, and, uh, the, the way that that kind of thing can be prevented, um, is if the forces, uh, that are tr- currently trying, um, to keep trans people, uh, shut away to eliminate them from, uh, The country and from our social and political life um you know the only that they have to be defeated um which i think they will be defeated because that's how history usually goes in these situations and i choose to be optimistic about that um you know but uh that is not necessarily a guarantee um and uh you know but I do think in the end that trans people will win this fight because um, so many so many people in similar positions have won these kinds of fights before, you know. And at that point, I think it's very, very uh, possible that the New York Times will run a similar series of searching stories about what it got wrong in the past. And to me, the important thing is not only uh, to hold places like the times accountable now, which I think the people who wrote the letter have done a really amazing thing by doing, um, but also to make sure that uh, if or when that moment comes in the future, that people are very clear that um, this was not something where the times was merely just reflecting the culture of the day, that the times was uh, driving this broader political movement um through its coverage and that people told it uh to change and that it refused to change um you know so not only do we have to tell the times now and all of the other media outlets and all of the other anti-trans forces out there now that this is wrong but we can't let them pretend like people weren't saying that um You know, when the moment comes when uh, they hold their hands up and say, "Mm, I think we might have. I think we could have done that better.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I I think that I think the moment you describe is very likely to come. And I think that uh, uh, it's uh, one reason I'm very happy that the nation ran your article, because we will be in a position to say, you know, the happiest of words, we told you so.
1: (laughs) <laughs> so. Yes, yes. Nothing, n- you know, no No sweeter words in the English language.
0: That's right, that's right. So, uh, anyways, so Jack, thanks uh, once again for being on. Uh, uh, this has been the Time of Monsters uh, podcast. Uh, and uh, I would encourage everyone to, uh, if they haven't already, to read Jack's article in The Nation.
1: Thank you. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments